0: Okay, so Lord, we uh, thank you for, we're finishing up the book of James, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit, which resides within us, and we pray for the illuminating ministry of the Spirit to help us to understand what you've given us through James chapter 5. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is our fifth lesson in the spring quarter. The title of the lesson is, Persecution and Prayer, and it's James chapter 5. So the first section is about the corrupt rich. Now remember at the beginning of the study and intermittently throughout James, I've mentioned that James is written to believers. And that helps you to understand in particular, chapter 2, you know, and how chapter 2 relates to your sanctification and not your justification. But here in chapter 5, James is making a switch, and uh, verses 1 through 6 are not about believers. Okay? So why don't we read that, and then we'll talk about why that is. Can I get somebody to read 1 through 6 of chapter 5? Yeah, they sound like bad people, don't they? They sound like some bad folks. So yeah, verses 1 through 6 appear to be the unsaved rich. And why do I say that? Because, you know, before we mentioned that this book was written to believing Hebrew Christians. And remember that uh, James has mentioned several times now that this group of believers is kind of enamored with the wealthy. Remember in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, they were favoring the wealthy who came into their assembly and giving them prominent places and telling the poor to sit underneath their stool, stuff like that. And then uh, in the end of chapter 4, it talks about going to make money. Going to make money without including God. And that was written to the believing. Um, and so now here James is, this is a prophecy, if you will, against the unsaved rich in verses 1 through 5. So... The reasons I don't think this is to the believing, and I've read a couple of commentaries that say, well, this is to believing and unbelieving. Um, It's a warning to the believing, but it's about the unbelieving. And The reasons, I think, are there's no mention of the word brethren. He says brethren all the time, saying brethren, brethren, brethren. Here he doesn't say brethren. It also says in verse 3, your gold and your silver have rusted, and the rest will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. Consume your flesh. Okay, now, remember, when we are justified, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And there will be a a fire, a judgment fire for the believer, but that fire will be applied to the believer's works, not the believer's flesh. (laughs) And that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, you know, passage we go over many times. It says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. There's the fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So he might smell smoky, but his flesh will not be consumed like with fire. Okay, so that again is another reason I think that this is not directed at the believers. Fires. And then, you know, if you go along in the passage, it is characterized by unfair labor practices, okay, wanton pleasure, and putting to death righteous men. That's what these people are doing. So, you know, someone would say, well, that's Jeff Bezos, and, or that is, that, that's not who this is applying to that's not legitimate businessmen. These are like the drug cartels. These are like the pornographers. These are like the mafia. They're becoming wealthy from sin. Okay, they're becoming wealthy from sin. And James is using this as an example of the danger of wealth because these people he's writing to, these believers he's writing to are enamored with wealth. And he's mentioned several different places why they, you know, why that's true. So in verse one it says, "Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you." And that reminds me of Matthew 24, which is the Olivet discourse. And this is a this is a parable at the end of the Olivet discourse, and remember the Olivet discourse is uh, this is after the church has left the earth, and it's directed toward Israel, and Jesus is telling these parables to tell them to be in faith when he comes. So, Matthew twenty four verses fifty and fifty one, the master of that slave. Let me back up. I'll go back to. Verse 48, but if that evil slave says in his heart, my master's not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is someone in the tribulation period who is not in faith. Yes, so, and you know, and that, it will be like these um, unsaved rich. And then I have another passage written down here, Matthew 22, verses 11 through 13. This is Jesus again speaking a parable about the marriage feast of the Lamb. Okay. So, how do you get into the marriage feast of the Lamb? What is the, yeah, there you go. And that's what this parable is about. And the proper clothing comes from faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus gives you the proper clothing. So, Matthew 22, verse 11, but when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friends, friend, excuse me, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. That's right. That's right. We have to have righteousness from outside of us which is Jesus' righteousness, and that is our entrance. Yeah, those those uh, Matthew passages are those without faith in Christ during the tribulation period. At the end of tr- the tribulation period, there, remember, there will be two judgments. One of the living Jews, and that is in uh, Ezekiel, I think it's 20, I, could, that, I might not be right on that. But anyway, Jesus will pass his his people under the rod, and he will take out the rebels, and they will be executed. And those are the unbelieving Jews. And the Gentiles are at the sheep and goat judgment, Matthew 25. Remember, the goats are the unbelieving, the sheep are the believing, and the sheep are shown to be believing by their kind to the Jews during the tribulation period. Um, so, the goats are then executed. They're cast off the earth, and that's what he's talking about. Assign them with the hypocrites where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are the line, right. A the yeah, yeah, you, you need to be in faith. When we go into the millennium, Everyone will be in faith. And then the unbelieving will be the kids <laughs> that are born. The kids. Yeah. So then verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. So that is what's called proleptic speech. So I'm going to tell you proleptic because I didn't know what that meant proleptic when you say something in a proleptic fashion it's as though you have moved ahead in time and you see it as it is in the future okay
1: like a mother, <laughs>
0: like a mother. yeah yeah so so he you know he's right right now he's saying the riches look yeah the riches look wonderful and they look He's saying your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. This is far in the future. And so that's proleptic speech. It's as though it had already happened. And the Bible does that a lot, you know. It says uh, it says things proleptically as if they've already happened because God sees the end from the beginning. So he knows what will happen. So this is the view from eternity, Material wealth in eternity is worthless. Um, So you want to use material wealth to gain uh, treasures in heaven, and you can do that with material wealth if you use it correctly. Yeah, and that's exactly what James is warning against right here. So then verse 3, we already went over with your flesh like fire, which I think is a very strong indication that this is not to believers. But verse 4, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. So that's the Lord of hosts. Uh, Sava is army, and that's the plural of armies, the Lord of Armies. So he's talking about, you know, he he can beat you up, (laughs) the Lord of hosts, if he wants to. So the mistreatment of workers. Now, I can't resist this, so I have to do this, and this is about unions. Unions, I think, are good, but not everywhere. Unions are good if they are opposed, if they create an opposition to management, and those are private sector unions. Public sector unions are not opposed because they are in league with the elected officials. There's There's no checks and balances of the public sector union. Therefore, I disagree with public sector unions. For that reason. What they're, one of the things, that, you know. Um, yeah, and that's a private company, right? Yes. Yeah, see. So, um, saying, right, so if you, for lower labor costs, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, it's done everywhere. And, and I'm just saying that's out. Yeah. So, you know, we, we want, um, and I was in private practice where I had employees for seven years, and that is the most difficult thing, is to try to be fair, try to be generous as an employer. It is very difficult. So I've, I feel for them, you know. Um, but anyway, you know, the Bible says for your labor should be paid daily, you know, in the law. It says don't withhold your wages for your labor. You pay them daily. Curse, you know, we don't do that now. Yeah, so we need to pray for the companies that they would, you know, be reasonable with their wages and accountable. They need to pay pay for quality. Right, they need to pay for quality, right? That's what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Well, that's what he's saying. That's what James is saying here. That you have to be good to your employees. Yes. So verse five, you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. So with all your wealth. Now this is what the Lord says to do with our wealth in the church age, 2 Corinthians nine, six through eight. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So the Lord will, he wants to use us as conduits for money. Conduits, you know. Um, We all have needs, but we don't have to, you know, build it up to an enormous amount, and um, He will bless us if we are generous, in order that he, we may bless more, that we may be more generous. So verse 6, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man, he does not resist you. Of course that is sin, right? Um, and I have some passages written down here. James 1 verse 10 The rich man is a glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass he will pass away. And then uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 I'm not going to read that whole thing but that that was the part about favoring the wealthy over the poor. And then uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 3 and 13 again. Chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, on your wanton pleasures. So uh, basically this is James' warning to these uh, believers he's writing to that, you know, they're, they're tempted by money. They're tempted by it. And he's saying, if you, play, if you make money your God, which is what the people in these verses have, verses 1 through 6, and especially you get the money through sin, through pornography, through drug dealing, through mafioso activity, that sort of thing, then the money itself will consume your flesh like fire in the judgment so what you have worked to receive will destroy you well, well, yeah. I mean, yeah yeah no yeah um, yeah wealth in and of itself is totally worthless for, as far as eternity but it can be used yeah, yeah. So for I'm eternal purposes that. for eternal purposes and that's uh, we want to we want to use do that so you know at the end of in revelation 17 and 18 it's about the doom of babylon And there's kind of a a contradiction that I wanted to point out, but I think I know the explanation for that. So, in Revelation 17, verses 16 and 17, And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, and will make her desolate and naked, and will eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words are God, of God are fulfilled. So, the ten horns are the ten kings. There's a worldwide ten king confederacy in the end times, ruled by the Antichrist. The beast is the Antichrist. The harlot is the, the world system which is centered in the great city, which is Babylon, and that's in verse 18. So the harlot is this, uh, it's like Wall Street. Wall Street is a place, but it's also a system of capitalism, right? The harlot is gonna be Babylon and the system which is set up for the Antichrist. It's the mark of the beast system, It's going to be his religion. And, uh, you know, eventually the beast will get mad at the harlot and make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. And that is the time when he declares that he himself is God. Okay, and you notice that these kings, these ten horns, are destroying Babylon with him. But then in Revelation 18... 9 through 11, it says something different. It says, And the kings of the earth, who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her, this is this harlot, Babylon, will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Kings of the earth are related to the merchants. And you you can see this being set up now. The woke, evil corporations that are pushing just evil philosophies, transgenderism, you know, CRT, all this stuff, they are going to benefit and don't we see this happening? The big com- Amazon pharma, big tech? the big tech, the big pharma, pharma. pharma yeah. they are benefiting from this new world order being put together and they will lament when this thing is destroyed because it's their cash cow. So um, I mean you can see this stuff coming into place now because corporations are talking crazy talk like Disney. Disney and this silly bill about, oh, you can't teach sex, you know, perverted sex to five-year-olds, and they come against that. Well, that's evil, you know? So anyway, that's why we want our lights to shine during this time. Okay, so the next section is the persecuted poor. That's verses 7 through 12. Can I get somebody to read that one? Thank you ma'am. So verse 7, therefore be patient. for what? What are we being patient for? The of the Lord. For the coming of the Lord. Yes we pray. Come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. yes. So 1 Thessalonians 4:13 through 18, But we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep or dead so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's what we're waiting for. That is the next thing that will happen. Prophetically, you know, we we can see through that, because this is a signless event, the rapture. We can see through that. We can see the Lord arranging things. For the, for the tribulation period to start. We can see it all coming into focus. And it's, man, it is coming into focus big time now. But we know that as this comes into focus, it's like we can see them putting out the decorations for Christmas in August. <laughs> you know? But we know the Thanksgiving comes first, and that is what we wait for. So we can see it coming together. We can see the technology of the Mark of the Beast system coming together. We can see the alignment of the nations for this Gog-Magog war coming together. Um, we can see these woke corporations that will feed off this evil world system, you know, starting to do their thing. But we are waiting for something that will happen before it all, before the Antichrist comes on the scene. and. So that gives us hope. That gives us hope. So, you know, after he warns against uh, the evil rich, then f- he turns his attention back to the brethren, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And then he uses, and James does this a lot, he uses an example like the farmer here. Farmer waits. Waits. He's waiting for his crop to grow. And that's like us, right? We we plant crops, don't we? We tell people about the Lord. We follow Him. You know, we don't know, many times we don't know where He's leading us. <laughs> but we follow Him anyway to see what He does, and we wait. And we wait. And... um. I love Michael Card's song "Joy in the Journey." Has anybody ever heard that? It's, mm, no, I, can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, the only the only words I remember are "joy in the journey" because you know it really struck me. Because we can have that, we can have joy in the journey, even though we see these bad things happening. Even though we see these bad things happening, and sometimes it makes me so angry. Lucky, you hard. know. But Yeah. Well, I know. I mean, I was, you know, I am a news junkie. I admit that I, I look at a lot of news. I read a lot of news and I was talking to my mother yesterday and I said, I am so glad I'm a believer or I would be in an insane asylum right now, (laughs) you know, because, because I know what's happening and I know why it's happening. Yeah. There's not enough antidepressants if you're not a believer for what's happening. Yes, so verse 8, so he says, you know, just like the farmer, you too be patient, yeah, right. strengthen your hearts, yep. for the coming of the Lord is near. Okay, now what does that mean? The coming of the Lord is near. That's imminence. That's what that is. That's the doctrine of imminence. The Lord, nothing has to happen. The Lord could come. It's like the sort of Damocles hanging over our head, but in a good way. (laughs) You know, it's a good sort of Damocles hanging over our head. Any moment, the Lord could come. That's why I said the Lord is near. And verse nine says the Judge is standing right at the door. So that is the doctrine of imminence. So then verse 9 do not complain brethren against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged so you know we've talked about this before you know we want we all want to grow we all want to help each other grow and if and at the end of this chapter he'll talk about helping a brother who has fallen into sin to restore them how to help a brother who's fallen into a sin to restore them. But you don't want to be complaining about your fellow believers. You know, you want to encourage them in their own specific gifts. And uh, Paul also said stuff like this in Philippians 2.14. Paul says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So, when we do our stuff, we shouldn't grumble about it. We should just do it. Then, okay, so James used the example of the farmer. Now he's going to use the example of the prophets. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So, when you think of the prophets, you know, the office of prophet came about as the, the kings were established because the kings are human and the kings have a sin in nature, and even though the Lord told them what to do, to submit to the law, they most of them did not. They put themselves over the law. So the prophets were raised up to pull them back to the law. And what happened to the prophets? Isaiah, a very prolific and famous prophet, was son in two by Manasseh. Jeremiah was thrown into a pit to starve to death, and, um, you know, he didn't stay there. He was rescued by the Lord. He wept a lot because he was living in the midst of this corrupt society, which was in the middle of judgment, and, uh, you know, we're like Jeremiah, (laughs) and... uh, so those are the only ones I can think of specifically, but I think in general the prophets were... Well, John the Baptist, too, yeah, well, was beheaded. Yeah, but James holds these prophets up as uh, positive examples. Well, they were the ones that were guaranteed. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, Jeremiah mentioned he didn't want to do it anymore because every time he did it, he got in trouble, but he, it was his word was like a fire burning within him, and he couldn't hold it in. He... It exploded out. So then James goes on, verse 11, to talk about probably the most famous example of suffering and endurance, which is Job, the first book of the Bible. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So, The Quarterly said something. I I frequently disagree with the Quarterly, but this time I agree with the Quarterly. Page 45, there's a little blurb there where it says Job received vindication from the Lord only after he had been humbled enough to stop demanding it. He demanded vindication from the Lord. And when he finally stopped, then the Lord gave it to him. (laughs) Yeah, but Job is interesting because the Lord himself bragged about him, and then um, he went through all this horrific stuff, and I can understand why he was confused, you know. There's mysteries following the Lord, don't you think? I think there are. Not everything can be explained. But, Not mind. We want to be like Job at the end of that. <laughs> well, it is very too. yeah, that's a, it's good to remember, but and we have the ability to do it. But that's only because you said like, give you new joy and. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that gives—I don't know about you—gives me joy is this. Uh, what he says: the coming of the Lord is near. That's what that is. What gives me joy? You know, all the other stuff I can put up with because I know that's coming. And um, so verse 12, Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. I wonder where he heard that. That's Matthew 5.37, right? Almost verbatim. The Sermon on the Mount... But let your statement be yes, yes or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. That's what Jesus said. So as believers, our word should be like we're taking an oath in court. We shouldn't be like the lawyers. You know. They say, Oh well you didn't you're not in court, you can lie if you want. We should not be like the Muslims have takia which means that they can lie if they want to advance the cause of Allah so things like that no we should let our yes yes and our no be no say what you mean okay so the last section is the power of prayer so i'll read that one Uh, Verse 13, this is verses 13 through 17. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So this is about prayer and then right at the very end about restoring a brother who has fallen into sin. So what should prayer be like for the Christian? How should it be? How often should it be? This is a verse that I, comes to my mind every time I come to a prayer meeting. Luke 18.1. Now, he was telling them a parable, this is Jesus, to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. All times. 5%. Pray without ceasing. Do not lose heart. So in verse 13 is anyone suffering? Do we suffer? Yes. Sometimes we do. So if you are suffering, then he gives you the prescription, he must pray. Simply because they can't. Yeah, and what a wonderful gift that is Amen. Amen. to be able to pray for your friends. Yeah. It's a privilege and honor. Yeah. So this sounds like uh, suffering. Well, he doesn't really say suffering from what, but, you know, his, the, the book really is about enduring trials, so we can suffer from external things, and we can also suffer from internal things, can't we? Anxiety. You know, we're concerned that something bad is going to happen, and maybe it's not happening. But we're worried that it will. So Philippians 4, 6, and 7, this is our you know, secret weapon. It's not so secret, but be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, see, is supernatural. It's not, you can't reason it. It can't be reasoned. It surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you're anxious, pray. If you're suffering, pray. The Lord would help you. If you're happy, sing songs of praise, which is a prayer of praise. And, you know, Michael Card has good songs. if I can remember them. Joy in the Journey, you know. Um, he has a lot of good songs. Scandalon is a good one, and uh, I don't know if uh, he's he was back in the eighties. He's back in the eighties, maybe nineties, and um, but he has some good worship songs. It is, yeah, and that takes discernment, doesn't it? To know, I personally don't think you need to confess every single sin to a person. That would be the Catholic Church. Yeah. But you do confess it to the Lord, Jesus, and he will restore you. There are, some, there are some sins if you need help, if you need accountability, things like that. I have done that with sins that I am, are particularly sticky for me. And um, so verse 14, this, um, this next couple of verses, I think, needs a little bit of balance. It can be, is anyone among you sick? So it tells you the procedure if you're sick. Call for the elders. They are to come and pray over that person and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I have been both on the giving and receiving end of this. My back. Yeah, my back was healed, and it has been been healed ever since. Probably twenty years ago. Yeah. Now, so the balance of this is that the Lord does not always answer in the affirmative when you do this. A, exactly. That was the that was the example. You know, Paul asked three times he which is a prayer to the Lord to heal him of his thorn, and he didn't. So it not all. It is not always the Lord's will for people to be healed. That to the point of this one. So then in verse 16, he says that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then he uses Elijah as the example. Elijah controlled the weather by asking God for three and a half years. And so that just shows you the power of prayer, the power of prayer and Elijah and us are the same. We are the same. He had a sin nature, we have a sin nature. He prayed to God, we pray to God. It's the same. The power is there. And so that is very... So the last two verses, 19 and 20, my brethren, if anyone strays from the truth, one turns him back, let him know that he turns the sinner from the error of his way. He will save his soul from sin. So, that, you know, we're told to confess confess our sins to one another. Sometimes, even as believers, we don't want to do that. And so this goes back to Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount, and this is what people always use against you when you bring things up they don't like, don't judge. Yeah. But he doesn't stop there. So what Jesus says is this. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge you will be judged, and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you. Then he goes on to say, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold the log... Is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What is he saying? If you're in the same sin as your friend, it is not your place. It is not your place to do that. Yeah, but if it is not, if you are not sharing sins, it is your place. But it's like eye surgery. It's very delicate. Eye surgery is very delicate. Let me take the speck out of your eye. So you know, um, I don't know about you. If you try, have you, if you've ever tried to do this, this is very difficult to do. To do it without making the person go crazy and just leave, you know. Yeah. For prayers. I think real important part of that. Well, I have one more verse on that. Galatians 6, verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. So it's something we're supposed to try to do. In a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So you can get drawn into the sin if you're not careful. Ezekiel 3 So, and you may save your friend from death.
1: That's well, at the well, end of stop. James.
0: That's the Ezekiel on as well. Yeah. I mean. Because yeah. sin causes death, even in the believer. Yeah. Sin will cause death. So that's the end of James. We'll Amen. We'll Amen. <laughs>